You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. Please do open a Bible, find a Bible, open a Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2 is where we're going to begin today. Lord willing, it's not where we end, but it is where we begin. And we're in the we're considering the pastors and elders right now, considering one of the more important series we've ever been in as a church. This series, if you've been with us at all, this series is entitled, I'm a Christ Follower. This is living life for what matters most. We are trying to zero in on the most important aspect of our lives in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are praying that God is moving in very powerful and supernatural ways to allow us to see with more clarity than we've ever had before. You know, Peter says in his second epistle, the apostle Peter says, "Um, I think it right to stir you up by way of reminder. Say that again, I love it. Peter says, "Um, I think it right to stir you up um, by way of reminder. And so we make no apologies for doing that each week in this series. This is week number three, and Lord willing, we have seven to go, and, and uh, we want to rehash and restate again because we want, we have to make sure we know what we're trying to accomplish. And here's what I know too what God says about us is that we are sheep, and sheep are dumb. Yes, no offense, okay? I'm a sheep too, okay? I'm a sheep too. But we need to hear things over and over again. Even, even all the great marketing companies, they understand that as well. A repetition is just really well used. So let's just do that right now. Let's remind ourselves of where we are. The whole goal of the series, as we look at God's word, is we want to be Christ followers. But what does a Christ follower look like? Who is a Christ follower? Well, this is the first three weeks. This is the theology, what we're presenting, what we believe. Week one, a Christ follower will abide. There's no exceptions to this. Apart from me, you can do nothing, Jesus says in John 15. Unless you abide in him, there's no fruit from him. So if you're truly following Christ, you must abide in him. You must draw your sap and juice for everyday life from the vine, which comes from the vine dresser. Secondly, a true follower of Christ will connect. This is last week. We learned with great clarity that if you're saved in Christ, you are automatically saved into the body of Christ. You cannot separate Jesus from his church because Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus married the church. Jesus died for the church. So if you're saved in Christ, you are in the body of Christ. You belong to the body of Christ, and you have a responsibility to care for the other members of the body of Christ. So therefore, if we're truly following Christ, we have to connect to his church. And that's just not a Sunday morning thing. This is living a life in fellowship with other believers by God's design. This is what Jesus did. And then this This week, if I abide and I connect, a true follower of Christ must share. I have to share the light of Christ in me must come through me. It's what we hear today. So notice this. Abide leads to God time. We're getting to there in October, November. Connect needs to gather and group time. This is the application of what we're learning. And share is give time and go time. Because we're saying, practically, what does this look like? That is coming. But for now, a true follower of Christ, the three words, we're putting them everywhere. We want to have this vocabulary running through our church. I abide, I connect, and I share. Let's look at those three things in a, a bit of a different way now because this really helps me and I pray this helps you. I sit down during the week at my desk and I do these little drawings and our graphic designer makes them look way better than I ever could with more clarity, okay? As I abide in the Lord, I receive from God. 
It's his strength, Jesus Christ. Again, the sap and the juice for everyday life. I I want you, like me, more than ever, as I'm sitting down in prayer with God's word, as I'm worshiping him in song, to imagine the, 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 the sap and the juice of Jesus Christ flowing into my spiritual body and then coming out to bear fruit. And it's never been more apparent to me of the necessity to receive to bear any fruit. But from receiving, we go to strengthening. God has designed his church that we strengthen one another in Christ and build strength. But what often happens in the church today because the growing persecution and the growing cost, if you're really going to abide and connect, is sometimes we go one, two, and we stop right here. Well, because I'm afraid to go beyond that. Uh, I'm, I'm timid. Uh, I'm selfish. I don't really want to love people in this way. But what we're learning right now, and here's the conviction, If I'm a true follower of Christ, I abide, I connect, but you don't stay in the strength. You share and expand now the kingdom of God because that is ultimately the greatest purpose of abiding, connecting, and sharing that we might go and make disciples of all nations. Anyone who's a true follower of Jesus Christ, this is your call and my call together. If we're truly following Christ, we must share. The bottom line for today's message is this. A true Christ follower, listen, listen, cannot hoard their faith. They are compelled to share and multiply it with others. Here's what Charles Spurgeon said about this. This is a convicting statement. This is a good statement. He said this. You do not love the Lord at all unless you love the souls of others. Just going to let that sit for a second. I want you to think about it. I don't want to rush through it. You do not love the Lord at all unless you love the souls of others. So, as we start today, we ask the question to ourselves, do you have a God-given burden to share Christ through your life? Do you have a God-given burden to share the message and light of Jesus Christ. Well, that's the prayer today. So I'm looking forward to this, and we're going to get started now. We have two main passages today, and we have two main points today. So here is the first, then, main point. It's this. Number one, um, I must share His grace. I must share God's grace. In other words, I must disciple. This is disciple. If I'm a Christ follower, I am called to disciple others in the grace that I have received from the Lord. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Check it out, check it out. Chapter 2, verse 1. This is Paul writing to Timothy, a mentor to mentoree. Notice, um, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, notice, in trust of faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now, this verse has been powerfully used, verse 2 especially, has been powerfully used over many years for good reason. Dawson Trotman was the founder of the Navigators. And the Navigators is an international ministry now seeking to evangelize and disciple hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people worldwide. Dawson Trotman, as a young man, he opened up 2 Timothy chapter 2. He looked at verse 2. He saw the call to share the grace and the discipling of others. And that set forward the path to navigate, help navigate others to life in Christ, which began the ministry of the Navigators. That's awesome. 
Paul here gets it so right, and he gets right to it with the urgency that he has. When we come to 2 Timothy, Paul knows he's about to die. Paul knows his time is short. Paul knows that there's not many days left. So with the urgency of his life now, he gets to it and he says to Timothy, Timothy, you must share what's been entrusted to you. Now let's look at God's word here and let's be good students of God's word. Notice the command of verse two, right? In verse two, there's the command, but notice the context of verse one. Can you see it there? And don't look at me. I pray that you look at the word, right? Because we want to see this together. Notice what Paul's saying to Timothy. Timothy, you must share God's grace that's been entrusted to you. However, you share God's grace by the strength that God provides. Now, this is where I love God's word. Once again through this series, the bar is high. The bar is high, and and not everyone's going to make it because the cost is upon us to abide and connect and to share and to become less and to die to self. There's many people, like in John 6, when Jesus is giving us hard teaching, they turn and walk away, and they say, this is a hard saying, who can accept it? And that'll happen here. That'll happen maybe today. People are like, it's too hard. I don't want to. I don't want to live for Christ in this way. I want it to be more about my comfort and feeling. And that, that's going to happen. I pray not many, but it's going to happen to some. But we have to understand, though, when the bar is high in verse 2, share what you've been given in Christ. The secret, though, to sharing and seeing this fruit for Jesus Christ is embedded within verse 1. Notice here, if all you do is read verse 2, and you're like, I gotta try harder, I gotta try harder, I gotta share more, I gotta do it, I, 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 I. If all you say is I, then your theology's terrible. But when you read verse 1, then the secret to know how this happens is found out. Paul says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the, what's the next word? Grace. What is grace? Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. But grace is a gift. You don't earn grace. You then, my child, find your strength to disciple others by the grace that is only found in Jesus Christ. Loved ones, look right here, look right here, look right here. This is the secret to the Christian life. I am the vine, you are the branches. Unless you abide in me, you cannot bear fruit. But if you do abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Here it is again. It's another way of saying the same thing. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Do you see how the Christian life is to be lived? And let me point this out to you too. I love it. Abide, connect, share, all within verses 1 and 2. Can you see it? Can you see it? Notice, the call to abide, grace. Grace, strengthened by grace, abiding, verse 1. Notice, connect, Paul and Timothy, the relationship of, of encouraging one another in Christ in verses 1 and 2, rela- that's connect. And then in verse 2 now, we have the call to share, right? In these two verses in God's word, abide, connect, share, I love it. We're not making this stuff up, loved ones. It's all over scripture. Now notice, as you come to verse 1 now again, look at verse 1, notice the first two words. You then, now, when we're reading God's word, you then, and I want you to know that one of my foremost goals as we examine God's word together and as I preach it to you, um, I'm also trying to model for you and teach you how to study God's word. Sometimes you're sitting back and you're like, I can't do that. Yes, you can do that. 
Yes, you can study God's word. It's amazing to me, the biggest factor is saying, well, hey, Robbie, how do you come up with this stuff? Time. Time. You, say, you can't get this in 30 seconds. 30 minutes does something. Three hours does something else. 10 hours. You sit in God's word and you meditate. And you ask the Lord to teach you. It's incredible the things that start. But let's just be honest. We're sitting studying God's word. So often we're just like, 30 seconds, I'm done. Where's the, where's the sports score? All right? But notice, when you see you then, then is pointing back to what has preceded verse 1. So all you do, you then, you're looking at it, well, what does he mean by then? He's building his argument. So you go back to chapter 1 to reinforce what's happening in chapter 2. And this very process, you start to look now with discovery. You say, what am I missing in chapter 1 that will help me understand chapter 2 that I may learn, that I might be encouraged, that I might be transformed by the word of God, by the Holy Spirit? So notice, Paul is pointing back now to chapter 1 because he's built his argument from there. So I can't read every verse in chapter 1, but let's just look at a couple together to get context. Chapter 1, verse 8. Let's look at verse 8, okay? Paul is, is um, building a foundation of the gospel for Timothy's life through his exhortation. Verse 8 says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, Timothy, but share in suffering for the gospel. Notice this. How do I share in suffering, Paul? By the power of God. Not your power, Timothy. By the power of God. Notice. Who saved us and called us to a holy calling. Notice. Not because of our works. Stop there, stop there, stop there. That was amazing to me. Again, so many people across this land right now sitting in church believing they're going to heaven by what they do. They believe they're going to heaven by their effort, their works, by being a good. We heard it today in the baptism tank. Decades of thinking, if I'm a good person, if I work hard enough, God will accept me. These people sitting in church thinking they're going to heaven by works, apparently they haven't read the Bible. Because if you read the Bible, you stumble upon verses like verse 9, and it says, God saved us, God called us, God has made us holy, not because of our works. Is that clear? That's clear. Maybe you're here right now and you think you're saved by what you do. Let the word of God correct you. No, no. You're never going to be good enough to get into heaven by yourself. It takes one sin to not let you get into heaven. But notice, how are we saved? Verse 10, verse 9. But because of his own purpose and grace, Jesus saved us, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Notice what's happening here. And Timothy says, look at verse 10. And which has now been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ. Notice, here's what Christ did. Who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Are you a follower of Christ here today? I mean, look, I mean you look at verse 10 there and you understand, wait, wait, in Christ, death has been abolished? <laughs> That's why today's a good day, amen, amen. These are good spots for amen in church right now. And, and life and immortality has been brought to light. I'm immortal because of the gospel of Jesus Christ? The reality that I will never, ever die because of Jesus Christ? That's amazing. That makes today an even better day. This is the truth that never leaves us, ever, ever in Christ. See what Paul's doing? He's like, Timothy, man, you've been saved by the gospel and you've been saved for the gospel. So this is where it becomes so important. So, so what Paul's saying to Timothy, Timothy, understand what Christ has done in you. He's given you everything in Christ. Abolished death, brought immortality to your life. You've been set free by Jesus Christ. Now, Timothy, you must share the message of grace that's been entrusted 
to you. Timothy, you simply cannot hoard your faith. As a true Christ follower, we are called to share his grace with others. You know what Paul's saying to Timothy in many ways? He's saying, Timothy, Timothy, my days are numbered. My days are numbered. Timothy, it's your turn. You know what God says to us today? God says to us, hey, hey, my children, it's your turn. It's our turn to take the message of grace and to shine this light of the gospel to a dark and dying world who needs it ever so desperately because eternity is a very, very long time. If I'm a true follower of Jesus Christ, I must share his grace. I must seek to disciple others. I want you to see this too within verse two. If you look at verse two, I want to show you four T's within verse two. Four T's that help us unpack this of what it means to see the power of discipleship. These T's will be on the screen for you. Here's the first T. Notice this, truth. Truth. Notice what Paul says. What you have heard from me, Timothy. So what's that? Well, that's not, hey, Timothy, um, just make some stuff up and go share it with people. Nope. Paul's saying, I've given you truth, God's word. You need to share the word of God. Loved ones, the single greatest way we disciple other people is through the word of God. John 17, 17, Jesus prayed about the church to his father, sanctify them in the truth. Uh, Your word is truth. So what you have heard from me, the second T in verse two is this, transfer, transfer, notice, entrust to faithful men. So notice this. You don't take the grace of God and the truth of God and bury it in a hole in the backyard. No, 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 no. You take it and you spread it. You transfer that truth to men and women who are hungry and desire to grow and learn. What I and deeply desiring would have happened during this series and during this message right now is we would begin each individually to hear the call of the Holy Spirit upon our lives. And the call of the Holy Spirit upon our lives is this, is that I am hearing I must share the grace that has been entrusted to me. I have a responsibility to do this. You know, I think in, in our day, in our church is guilty of this too, we have Bible studies coming out our noses. You know what I'm saying? There's so much information, Bible study, information, information, teach, 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 teach. But at the end of the day, if all you're doing is being fed, 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 but you're not outputting any of that stuff, what happens is we become these massively spiritually obese Christians walking around filled with the buffet table of, of, of God's word, but we're not doing anything with it. And we become lazy and we can't move very well because we're carrying all the stuff, but we're not, we're not sharing it with anyone. That's no good. That's no good. What we've been taking in, it must be taught out and given to others. So this leads us to the third T. Notice teach. Who will be able to teach, he says. So this is the call for disciple making. Notice this. Making disciples so that others in turn can make disciples. And then this leads us to our fourth T. Transformation. Notice. Who will be able to teach others also. Ah, now we see the plan of God for the multiplication of disciples within his church. It has been well documented. Some of you have not seen this. Be encouraged. Notice the four generations occurring within verse 2. Let's go to the four generations there. Notice this. Paul exhorting Timothy. Timothy is called to 
uh, seek to share with faithful men who will then in turn teach others also. This is the power of multiplication of discipleship when each of us take hold of what we're called to do. So Paul goes to Timothy. Timothy goes here. Now imagine if all these people start to take on the call to discipleship as well. You can see how the number grows very large very quickly. That's our call, loved ones. This isn't just pastor up here and elders discipling. Every single one of us has the call to disciple in our life. I need you to hear that. I need you to receive that. If you are saved in Jesus Christ in some form, in some way, there's a call upon your life to disciple others. We're called to share the grace that's been entrusted to us. And this is where it gets so exciting. Let me ask you this question. Who has God placed in your life that you can teach to follow Jesus? For a lot of us, it's people who live with us. But there's so much more beyond that too. Say it again. Who has, who has God called us to teach to follow Jesus within our lives? And are we doing it? We cannot hoard our faith. We must share it. All of us have the call to discipleship in some form, in some way. The two objections that come up right now, the two objections are, well, I don't know how to, and I don't have time to. Well, let me just point this out. Do you realize that this sermon series in itself is a wonderful discipleship tool? Look at the bullseye here. We're calling this the bullseye, okay? Hey, men, looking a way to lead your families? Men, women, whoever it is, friends, look at this. This in itself, if you can walk people through this series, what it means to abide, John 15, what it means to connect, uh, Romans 12, what it means to share today, Matthew 5 and 2 Timothy 2, and then from there you're learning about God time and gather time. You can sit down and say, what does it mean to follow? Jesus said, you, you can do this today. This is an incredible place to start of sitting down and walking through biblically what it means to be a Christ follower and sitting down and discipling those that are under your lead to a passionate and fulfilling life in the Lord Jesus. You can do that today if you've been listening, if you care, if you're hungry. You, you can do this today. And I highly recommend this, families, individuals, friends. This is a wonderful tool of discipleship in the Lord Jesus Christ. Obviously thoroughly biblical, proven by 2,000 years of church history and sincere faith. You can start there today. You say, well, what about time? I don't, I don't have any time. Well, it's interesting how the Bible speaks to that too because time, in this whole series, time is the greatest ingredient. It's, it's no coincidence that's the case because time is our greatest excuse. So if you look at the context of verse two and verse one and now look at the context what follows verse two and verse three, okay, watch this. So it's almost like Paul's anticipating Timothy's going to start having objections. But, but, I'm scared. But, but, I don't have time. Look, look. Timothy, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. So there's going to be a cost. It's going to be a call to suffering. Paul's like, share in it. It's actually a privilege, the Bible tells us, to do that. But look at verse 4 now. I want to see verse 4. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. The word entangled is very important. Entangled means to get your feet tied up. 
it's um, an obstacle. You're trying to walk, but it's really hard. But notice, what entangles, according to verse 4? Civilian pursuits. Civilian pursuits are like the business of everyday life. It's the affairs of everyday life. It's the, things, it's the things that we do. Civilian pursuits. So notice here, there are almost always good things. But if they're getting in the way of what is best, then the good thing has become something that has entangled you to discipleship and growth in Jesus Christ. Question, what are the civilian pursuits in your life right now that might possibly be entangling your spiritual feet from greater growth and discipleship in the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, I don't have time, I don't have time. Well, how are we spending our time? I was saying to my wife, think about this a lot, I was saying to my wife Jill this week, and again, this stuff's in my head right now. What I can't stand is when life seems to be spinning out of control. And what I mean by that is when it's just one thing to the next and the next activity and the next item on the calendar and the next thing you got to go to and the next thing and the next and the next and the next and next and it seems like you're just, you're just a hamster wheel. I hate the hamster wheel, man. Just you're going and going and there's no time to take spiritual breaths. If I don't receive from Christ in the vine, I can't do what I'm called to do and neither can you. Not in the way that God has asked us to do this. And what amazes me is sometimes we're on the hamster wheel. Next thing, next thing, next activity, next kid's sport, next uh, thing at school, next something I have to do here. Me, 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 what it is. And on and on. And the day goes by, the week goes by, the month goes by, the year, the decade, and you find yourself lying on the hospital bed, facing death and saying, what has my life been about? Like, does it really happen that way? It's happening every day right now. People in this town are lying in a hospital bed asking themselves, what has my life been about? We have the opportunity right now to be like, time out. What am I doing? What civilian pursuits need to be downgraded dismissed, disregarded, so that we might pursue the greatest pursuit of all, Jesus Christ, and seeing disciples made through our lives. One chance, one life, one crack at this. God help us to have wisdom, because I am called to share his grace and to disciple others. More about that will be coming as we go through this series, but the key is thing, I must believe this to start. Second point is this, second truth is this, I must shine his light now display. If I'm truly following him, I must shine his light display. Please turn with me now to Matthew chapter five for our second passage. Matthew chapter five, verse 14. Please turn there with me, please turn there so you can see God's word and know that I'm not making this stuff up. Matthew chapter five, verse 14. Familiar passage, beautiful passage. Check it out, check it out. Matthew 5, verse 14. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount. This is following the Beatitudes. Here's what Jesus says, Matthew 5, verse 14. You guys there, you guys there, you guys there? Matthew, first book in the New Testament, of course, chapter 5, verse 14. Jesus says this. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The first phrase is probably the most staggering. You see it there? Jesus looks at his disciples and says, you are the light of the world. 
Really? Remember, Jesus is speaking to his disciples who are regarded at their times and by their world as total nobodies. Jesus turns to this rugged, sloppy band of uneducated, unimportant, and unsophisticated group of people, and he says to them, you are the light of the world. It's almost like you can imagine the disciples looking at Jesus as he says this. He says, you are the light of the world. And they're like, who, us? And they're kind of looking around to try to find someone else behind. They can't possibly mean us. We are the light of the world. And then, loved ones, as true Christ followers, Jesus says to us, are you ready for this? Ready for this? Are you truly in Christ? You, we, us, you are the light of the world. Who, us? You know, like, really? We're the light of the world? Yes, yes. Notice, we don't become the light of the world, but in Christ, with union with him, we are the light of the world. Christ's light in us is to shine through our lives because he is light. This is what abiding in Christ accomplishes. His light in us shining through us. So this is an astounding revelation. You are the light of the world. But it's also an incredible responsibility. So just stop, stop and think, stop and think. As a Christ follower, wherever you are, you are called to be light. Because in Christ, and you can't change this, you are light. So whether you're on the bus, whether you're at hockey practice, whether you're in the airport, whether you're driving to work, whether you're sitting at your desk, whether you're walking the dog, whether you're at school, you are the light of the world. If we are the light of the world, what Jesus then implies is that the world then is very dark. The world is dark and very evil. Jesus' plan for the proclamation of the gospel is the shining of his light through his people, which constitute the church. See, this is why we cannot become like the world. If we become like the world, then we're becoming like darkness. And if we're darkness, then we're obviously not shining the light where Jesus says, you are the light of the world. This is why Ephesians 5 has much to say about this. Ephesians 5 says, for a one time you were darkness. I mean, just, just think about that. You're saved here right now. And before Christ, you were darkness. Under the power of Satan. Under his dominion. But notice, but now in the gospel... Now, because of what Jesus Christ has done, you are light in the Lord. Awesome, awesome. And because of this, walk as children of light. It has to be this way. It can't be any other way. The theology insists on it through our lives because you are the light of the world. Ephesians 5.11 says this. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. That's a word for some here right now. Some here right now, you are in the world of unfruitful darkness, which is ruining your life and destroying your soul. That could be because you've never received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It could be because you've found yourself in a real ditch and in a real dark place. But the Lord calls you out. He says, take no part in the works of unfruitful darkness, but instead expose them by the light of the Lord Jesus Christ, because we are the light of the world. Some people here right now, you deem yourself very unimportant and not special. Some of you are here right now and you're just like, everyone else seems to be up there and they're used and I'm just kind of in my place. Listen, what you, you know, the world, the world will vehemently disagree with this and even persecute it 
But the truth in Jesus Christ is there's no greater privilege than being called the light of the world by Jesus Christ. Think about that. Think about that. In Christ, you and I are the light of the world. You know, we get excited in the Olympics, the torchbearers, and the torchbearers, they grab the torch, and they're going along with the torch, and they feel so important, as they should. It's a big deal. It's like a real honor. And they're going along, and they have their 50 minutes of fame with the torch or whatever, and then they pass it on to someone else, and then they get all discouraged after that, you know. But they're holding the torch, and they're going along, right? And, and, that's, and that's a real honor. They're, they're shining the Olympic flame. But in Christ, you're carrying the torch of Jesus Christ, and that just makes the Olympic flame look like what it is. Temporal, finite, not much. We get to carry the flame and the light of the Lord Jesus Christ because we are the light of the world. Now notice what Jesus says in verse 14 now as he continues on. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. Notice, loved ones, Jesus anticipates the temptation for his followers to hide their light. He's anticipating the fear that will come upon his followers to live lives of secrecy as they seek to follow him. What we're learning here, though, this can't happen. Notice this light is like a city set on a hill. If you've ever approached um, a city that's in a distance and it's been raised up, you can see it for literally hundreds of miles sometimes as you drive along. This light is to be visible. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. It's amazing. The theology of this is so awesome to me. And here's a way for us to look at it right now. I love this stuff. I pray you love it too. But think of it this way. The light of the deity of Christ came down, the incarnation, that's Christmas. Jesus comes down. The word of God becomes flesh and dwells among us. The light of God is full in the Son of God who we have seen his glory, John 1 says. We have seen his light. He comes down as the light. He gives life to all men by, by dying for their sins, by being raised from the dead. And then he ascends into heaven. He comes down as the light of the world to show us the way to life in him. Awesome. But what he does, he doesn't leave us as orphans. He ascends into heaven, but he sends us another helper, the Holy Spirit. And what is mind-boggling to me, he puts his light in us. This lantern is in, describe it, but this lantern, you can picture it broken down. It's, it's like rusting. It's a, it's a jar of clay. That's us. We are jars of clay. We are sinful beings. Yet Jesus and the Father, the Holy Spirit, they choose to place his light in us that we now are the light of the world? Really? really in these broken down vessels that are being renewed day by day. And then the lantern of humanity constitutes, gathers in the lampstand of the church, which of course is not the building, it's the body of Christ gathered together to shine the light of the Lord Jesus Christ into the dark world. This is God's plan right here. His light lantern and the lampstand of the church, which is what we are called to be, the beacon of light that those who are lost in darkness may see and desire to be saved in him. The light that we have from Christ is to be visible and is to be so intentional. It's to be intentional. It can't ultimately be hidden. Here's what Lloyd-Jones says about this, and here's a convicting statement. He says this, Therefore, because we are the light of the world and our light cannot be hidden, the true Christian cannot be hid. He cannot escape notice. 
a man truly functioning as a Christian will stand out. Why? Because you were darkness, but now you're light. If you're truly light, that distinguishes you from the rest of the world. When a light is lit in a dark place, all know that it's there. That's our calling, loved ones. If we're living lives of secrecy in our Christian faith. You know when Jesus says he says a lamp can't be put under a basket? King James Version calls that a bushel, some of us are familiar with. For a bushel to cover over a lamp, inevitably that lamp will go out. For a bushel to be covering a basket, to be covering a lamp, that lamp essentially will go out. That lamp then is no longer fruitful. It's useless. So think about it. Ready? Ready? The Christian who lives their life in secret, hiding under the basket or the bushel, if they continue to hide their light under the basket, that light will go out. And essentially what's happening there, if it doesn't change, they are proving themselves to be useless for the light of Christ in this dark world. If someone is living a secret life in Christ year after year and decade after decade and there's no fruitfulness of shine the light beyond their lives, if that continues, the question at the end must be, do you really know Christ? Because if we're the light of the world, you can't hide forever. In fact, inevitably, we have to shine because it's Christ in us. His light in us, then coming through us. Therefore, that's why Jesus says, verse 16, verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine. Let your light shine. Display the light of Christ before others that they may see your good works. They may see the evidence of Christ in you and they may not see you ultimately. They see Christ in you. That's why they give glory to your Father who is in heaven, meaning some will see and ask and be saved. Through the light that we shine because of Christ in us. We are called to let our light shine. Incredibly, even hearing stories today again in the baptism tank and so blessed by the testimony of sitting on a train and a lady comes up and just shines her light that leads another individual to be saved and redeemed and escaping hell itself and standing before us today. And that's awesome. We are called to be that. Think of the history of Christians in society and throughout history in the impact of shining light through um, medical care and prison reform and alleviation of suffering and abolition of slavery and the starting of orphanages and rescuing those in poverty. Think of the efforts of compassion and reformation of society and justice. All of these were spearheaded through Christ's followers seeking to shine the light of the Lord Jesus Christ that others may see their good deeds and then ask them as a massive opportunity for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are called to shine his light to display his glory because we are the light of the world. And one of the great motivations for me, for the elders, for the staff of this church and the leaders of this church in this series is that in a way that we've never been before, this church would be on mission. That phrase is used sometimes, and I like it. What we mean by that is, you and I are on mission for the gospel in our lives. This isn't just a mission trip across the sea. 
This is in my home, in my neighborhood, in my workplace, when I'm at activities, when I'm at the gym, when I'm playing sports, when I am at school, whatever. My whole life is to be on mission because I am the light of the world and I must shine that light. What happens is in our day, what often happens is people sit in the chairs, they look at the pastor or the elders, whatever, and they think, well, that's your job. No, 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 that's our job. Equip, that's my job and your job. Equip the saints for the work of the ministry. You have to view yourself as a minister of the gospel. This is, this is the power. Here's the opportunity. If every single one of us took up our mantle with expectation that we are to be used for the mission of the gospel in our lives, that's when this community gets changed. We have massive opportunity in this church. In some ways, we're a drop in the bucket, but when the multiplication factor starts to happen and lives get changed for God's glory, this place will not look different. By this place, I mean Oakville, I mean the GTA, I mean Ontario, Lord willing, Canada, and how that spreads across the world, only God knows. We have to go from, though, sitting on the spiritual couch, expecting everyone else to do something, to getting to the front lines with the expectation, I have a role to play. The holy huddle thing, holy huddle, holy huddle, holy huddle. It's got to turn into a mobilized mission. And every single one of us has a part. You have to hear this. You have to believe this by God's word. You have a part to play. You have a call on your life to be light in this dark and dying world. Because the greatest privilege we have is to tell people of the message of Christ, just as we were also told and saved. We are now called with urgency of our day to be on mission as lights in this dark world. Let me ask you this question, just as we almost conclude here. This question Can you name one person who is living for Christ today because of you? I don't mean that you saved them, obviously, but Christ used you to share the gospel that they might be saved. It's a very, very good question. Can you name one person today that Christ has used you that they might be saved in Jesus Christ? Some of us were like, well, man, there's this guy in 1969. It was amazing. I led him to Christ, but it's been no one since. Okay, well, I'm really happy about what happened in 1969, but there's been many decades that have passed since then, and if we got one person that we can point to in our lives, listen, love them, that's a problem. That's a problem. Like, if, if we've never led someone to Christ ever, I'm not afraid of the conviction right now at all because we are called to something more. Our God is bigger than that. We have, a, we have a mission upon our lives. Some of you are like, you got, a, you got a handful, praise the Lord. Can we name a person where God has used us to lead them to Jesus Christ? I think the answer for all of us prayerfully needs to be Lord this year. Lord this year. I've been saved by too much grace to let it just slip by and say nothing. Eternity's coming. Hell is real. Lord, can you fill me in such a way that I would be used to radiate the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ? I believe it can happen, loved ones. I believe it because God tells us this. You know, sometimes hearing an example is so helpful of those who have gone before us. It is said of Robert Murray McShane, a godly Scottish minister of the last century, okay? 
This is what it said about him. He said this, that his face carried such a hallowed expression that people were known to fall on their knees and accept Jesus Christ as Savior when they looked at him. Really? Wow. Is that fully true? I bet you it is. I read enough about this guy. That's unbelievable. So dedicated to the purposes of Jesus Christ that the, literally the hallowed expression on his face convicted people to realize that there was a true Savior. It also says that others were so attracted by the self-giving beauty and holiness of his life that they found his master irresistible. I love having examples like that in front of us because often we have our like standard down here. Well, maybe I can you know, do a couple of good deeds and something like that. No, no. We can live lives of such glory. In, they may see the glory and give glory to your Father in heaven. We can live lives of such power and influence as our light shines that the radiance of the Lord will be seen on our lives that others will say, I have to know what makes you tick. I have to know what is it about you that is different. This is what the Lord can do. And we have the boldness at that moment to speak the truth of Jesus Christ. Loved ones, as true followers of Christ, it's time to share. As true followers of Christ, it's time to shine. Lord, help us as we're strengthened by his grace, as we abide in the vine, it's time to shine, it's time to shine. I was thinking about that, it's time to shine. And I thought of um, a little song this week. And I thought of a beautiful little song this week. You know, it's called um, This Little Light of Mine. And um, I want us to sing it today. Listen, listen. But I want us to sing it and mean it. And mean it. God, would you shine your light through my life? Would you do this, O oh Lord? Would you allow us to see the light of Jesus? Because we're the light of the world. We have to shine this in the world that we live in.